0: Hi I'm Michael Siddle and
1: I'm Nick Nanos
0: and welcome to trendline we're back the MPs are back in the house Nick you've got some good news for conservative leader Aaron O'Toole later on and we're gonna have our we're gonna have a first ever guest former ambassador to the US Michael Kurgan will be joining us in the second half of the show uh so first uh let's get to our power index uh what's the news on the conservatives
1: well you know it's 2021 who would have thought and you know TikTok. There's probably going to be an election sometime. It's interesting. You know, we track every week who Canadians would prefer as prime minister. And usually whoever the incumbent is does very well on this. Like hmm. Stephen Harper did well on this when he was prime minister. Justin Trudeau is doing well. Right now, he's he's the choice of about 37% of uh, of Canadians. But the numbers for Mr. O'Toole have moved in the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's at 26%. Uh, as a choice, which is still 11 points back of, uh, of Justin Trudeau. However, in the last four weeks, he's picked up a weapon, six percentage points. A lot of those in the last week that, remember what happened last week? He was dealing with Mr. Sloan and right. whether he should remain or not remain in caucus. So it looks like it got a bit of a, we're going to, I don't know, we're going to call it the Sloan bump, but <laughs> there's something going on right there. And uh, right now, at least, it, it looks like it's, uh, it's helping Aaron O'Toole when it comes to his personal brand.
0: So again, uh, Derek Sloan got a donation from a white nationalist uh, and then the party voted to kick him out of caucus. Um, But Sloan has had a a history of saying very extreme, controversial, let's say, things. Uh, During Andrew Scheer's time as leader, uh, uh, Derek Sloan suggested that Dr. Theresa Tam might have loyalties to China, not Canada. I mean, why did the conservatives take action now, do you think?
1: Well, you know, the thing is, is for Aaron O'Toole, uh, he's still a new face, at least from the general public as the leader of the Conservative Party. Canadians are waiting to see what he's, uh, what direction he wants to take the party in, what he's willing to tolerate and not tolerate. And this was uh, basically uh, a bit of a test for him in terms of uh, Canadians getting an understanding of uh, how he felt about kind of more extreme views and uh, issues related to that, and it looks like uh, Mr. O'Toole and his caucus have come out squarely against this, uh, this type of politics, and uh, I think for some Canadians who are, what we say, kicking, kicking the tires for the Conservatives, that uh, at least in the short term and what we're seeing in the polling is a little bit of a bump for him, but he's still got a long way to go before he becomes Prime Minister, but a little bit of positive news in terms of his personal trend line.
0: Now, Nick, how influential do you think uh, sort of fringe views are on a on a party as big as the Conservative Party? I mean, is Derek Sloan sort of a rare example or, or are there more?
1: Well, think of it this way. You know, whenever we do uh, whenever we do our weekly tracking, uh, there's still Canadians that said that they would vote for the for the um, for the party led by Maxime Bernier, the People's Party. Mm. Uh, it's anywhere from 3 to 5%, so it's, you know, one out of every 20, I guess. So, Michael, think of it this way. For us and our viewers, listeners, walk down your neighbourhood, once you pass 20, 20 homes, one of those people are probably uh, hot or like the People's Party, and, uh, and, you know, that's a significant number. You know, when you think our elections are won with just a handful of percentage points, to have 3 to 5%, uh, as part of the, I'll say, n- why don't we just call them not mainstream conservatives mm. uh, is, uh, is quite significant. The fact of the matter is, is for those voters, are they going to vote for an alternative to the conservatives and perhaps help the liberals win? Or are they going to hold their nose and vote the, for the conservatives? It's kind of like who they hate least, I guess. I don't mm. know. But just uh, that's where strategic voting kicks in. But uh, not to be dismissed uh, as a movement, but not as not as strong and prevalent as we've seen in the polling in the United States, for sure.
0: Well, I, I mean, in the United States, we saw this shocking uh, riding at the U.S. Capitol, and 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 you can see a lot of very extreme views have sort of found them wa- found their way into the uh, Republican Party. I think the House of Representatives it's it's a lot of representatives from gerrymandered districts where it's you know it's it's. It, 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 they don't need to sort of um, reach across the political divide to get elected in, in their districts, I suppose. So, do you yeah. think uh, you know we have we have the People's Party, uh, but do you think Canada is largely uh, immune from that level of extreme views?
1: I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's immune from those level of uh, from maybe that that level of extreme views, but not by having extreme views as as part of the mix, because you know let's face it, for many Canadians, they look at what's going on in the United States. And uh, they're either repulsed or are okay with some of the things uh, that they see. And you know, even in, in Canada, you know, our, our brand or our strain of uh, populism has most likely kind of been regionally based. You know, we had the the Reform Party was a strain of populism. Mm-hmm. The New Maverick Party that is looking at running uh, seats is populist. The old in in the how about we pull out the old time machine for trendline in New Brunswick, the Confederation of Regions was a populist uh, movement, right. and uh, a lot of these uh, were very regionally based. They weren't based on race. They weren't based on religion. It was based on regional anger, regional populism, trying to send a message to Ottawa, believing that ma- that Ottawa was out of touch and needed to be shaken up.
0: So the Maverick Party, which you mentioned, they, they've grown out of the Wexit Movements. Um, I mean, it's it it, it has a long um, you know tradition in Canada of Western alienation and and you know legitimate concerns about not being adequately represented in Ottawa. How how influential do you think that party might be going forward? And and should the federal Conservative Party keep an eye on them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think they'll be very influential regionally for sure in Alberta, Saskatchewan. I also think they will be exceptionally influential on the conservative strategy. Hmm. The conservative strategy is going to need to recognize that sentiment, but at the same time, try to keep that sentiment underneath the conservative umbrella in order to defeat the liberals. Hmm. And uh, so they're probably gonna punch above their weight when it comes to influence on the conservative platform. Uh, And they'll also probably punch above their weight regionally. But the question will be, will those voters, are they angry enough to split the conservative vote in some ridings? in order to help the Liberals. And the Maverick Party, my last point is the Maverick Party is trying to identify ridings where that vote splitting won't happen to help the Liberals. But the fact of the matter is, if the Conservatives lose a vote to anyone, it's not good for the Conservative Party of Canada.
0: Hmm. Uh, Nick, you've also done a recent survey on how Canadians feel currently about the closure uh, to non-essential travel at the Canada-US border. Uh, so what did you find out?
1: You know, it's one of those things where it's quite clear in the survey that we did that the vast majority, almost nine out of every 10 Canadians support or someone support uh, the closure of the border to non-essential travel. And this is where, you know, we're, we're moving into an area where, you know, before the pandemic and the COVID-19 virus was a threat from within. Now we're seeing increasing numbers of the, of the pandemic as a threat from without, as in new strains coming from countries like the United Kingdom and Brazil. And uh, as a result, on the border front, you know, Canadians really want to keep it closed until the pandemic and the COVID-19 is under control.
0: Uh, what about uh, lockdown measures in terms of closing businesses? Are, are Canadians still supportive of that?
1: It's a little more of a mixed bag because there's still a lot of sympathy for Canadian business. You know, the Canadians are cross pressured. They're torn. Like let's face it. Everyone wants to be safe. Everyone wants to be healthy. No one wants the pandemic to spread at the same time. Canadians need jobs, small businesses need help and, uh, and, and limiting and shuttering small businesses, especially in the hospitality and retail sector, uh, is just uh, devastating for certain parts of our economy. So it's much more of a mixed bag that said, Canadians are still overwhelmingly concerned about the pandemic and the coronavirus. When we ask the top national issue concern, it's way high. it's way up there. Like 42% identify coronavirus as their top concern. Jobs is at 12%, health at eight. So uh, that uh, focus on the pandemic is still there, but there's still a lot of sympathy and sensitivity to businesses that are trying to survive this pandemic.
0: So, uh, Nick, as your data suggests, we're in no hurry to reopen the, the U.S. border to non-essential travel. And to help us make sense of our changing relationship to the U.S. and to China, we are now joined by former ambassador to the U.S., uh, Michael Kurgan. Welcome, Michael.
2: Thank you much, Michael. Glad to be with you and Nick. Absolutely.
0: So we have a new administration, uh, uh, President uh, Joe Biden. But but after four years of uh, Trump's handling of, of the pandemic, do you think it's... It's really uh, created a lasting impact on how Canadians view the US.
2: I don't. Well, I, I think handling the the pandemic uh, probably hasn't had a great impact on on Canadians. Certainly, how he's managed uh, and being a uh, someone who's a demagogue who has riled up uh, uh, and incited violence uh, and uh, been very inconsistent in his foreign policy, um, not uh, working traditionally with his allies. Those are lasting problems of of, of the Trump and many of us. Uh, I think, and many Canadians will be looking to see whether Biden can kind of uh, reconstitute what uh, uh, is more the traditional US policy towards its allies. Um, but that I think is is a much more critical question. Certainly, there's a lot of optimism and a lot of anticipation. Uh, but at the same time, it has to be tempered with the thought that the uh, United States is extremely uh, bitterly divided, uh, both politically. Uh, uh, he, the Senate, as you know, is at fifty-fifty with mm-hmm. uh, the Vice President Kamala Harris uh, throwing a uh, the, the deciding vote. But nevertheless, uh, you lose one Democrat or two Democrats. Uh, on the legislative programs for, that Biden wants to put through, which are quite ambitious. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for him to get his agenda through. The agenda that he has, though, Michael, I think is one that Canadians are quite comfortable with when you sort of look at the environment, mm-hmm. you look at his uh, efforts to uh, re engage uh, internationally with allies, with the multilateral institutions um uh these are areas that canada's traditionally been very supportive of uh, so i think there's a lot of hope and optimism but very much tempered by a recognition that the politics of it in the united states are going to be very very difficult for for the president and uh uh we'll have to just hold our breath to see mm-hmm. how much he can accomplish of what is apparently and seems to be a very ambitious agenda
0: you know, uh, you you, you mentioned can, uh, sorry uh, yeah. It's
1: interesting, Michael, you know, I remember we did a poll, uh, one of the polls that we did, we, we asked about what contributes to a positive relationship in mm. Canada and the United States, and it'd be like legislators working together, the President and the Prime Minister working together, and, and what the poll suggested was tone at the top, mm. really, that, um, you know, if, if there was a perception that the Prime Minister had a fair and good working relationship with the President, that that actually would be a key signal, and I think to your point, Michael, Canadians have to think it's got to be better than it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, to your point, I think there's I think we're still hostage to a certain extent of the domestic political situation in the United States that you rightly uh, put your finger on. Yeah.
0: Uh, Nick, hey. Nick, I, I, yeah. I just want to touch on something Michael said. He said, uh, you know, Biden has a very ambitious climate plan. And we, when you have tracked the major issues that, you know, the, the Canadians rank, climate has, has always been there and, and you see it as growing. So, so how does that impact our, our relations?
1: Well, you know, the thing is, it could be something of alignment uh, because we do know from re- recent research that we did with the University of Ottawa that Canadians want to be a little more, uh, are, are okay with being, what I'll say, climate ambitious, even if it costs jobs. But here's the kicker, and I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm sure Michael can add something to this. Canadians always gauge themselves against the United States. So why don't we just look at the environment? Mm. If we have an environmental program that is on par with the United States or better than the United States, we're feeling okay. But if Joe Biden comes out with an environmental program and platform that is more ambitious than Canada, Canadians are not gonna feel good. So, you know, the big question is, uh, how ambitious will uh, President Biden be on the environment? And what will the impact be on the Canadian domestic
2: kind of environmental platform? Mm. That's absolutely true, Nick. Um, if, if, you know, Biden starts to leapfrog, you know, Canadian, for example, in greenhouse gas emissions or tailpipe in emissions and that sort of thing, that obviously will will pose problems. It'll pose up problems economically for our exports to the United States, because if our exports are not perceived by uh, the Biden administration to be, uh, have inputs that are environmentally friendly, we could see the, you know, the, uh, you know uh, imposition of what they call gore, uh, uh, border carbon taxes or uh, Uh, that could be, you know, against us. I think the the, the fact of the matter is, though, is that Biden is going to be constrained in being too ambitious on the environment, going back to the problems he has with the Senate and even with the House, which is a very, very narrow majority. Mm -hmm. So his key swing vote with, on the Democratic side is Joe Manchin. Uh, Joe Manchin is the senator from West Virginia, Democrat, and he's going to be holding back a little bit on anything that looks as being too ambitious mm-hmm. when it comes to fossil fuels. So that's that's one problem. The other problem we have, Nick, obviously, is if you see the problem from the other side of the equation, is that uh, Biden, as you know, on the very first day, he uh, rescinded the Keystone pipeline mm-hmm. uh, thing. And uh, that for our Alberta and for our resource base in the Saskatchewan and so on is, is a problem because they're now saying well how do we get our uh, fossil fuels to tidewater when we don't have you know uh, <coughs> the, tra- the trans Mountain uh, pipeline built yet So we're kind of uh, between <laughs> between uh, two uh, extremes there. On one side, we want to get more fossil fuels into the US because it, it's, it's good for our export industry. Uh, on the other side, we have to be uh, careful uh, to stay up with the Americans because I think Nick's absolutely right. If uh, Canadian population feels that we're falling behind the Americans, that'll have a political cost, I think uh, in, in, right. in, in, in Ottawa for sure.
0: I I was curious uh, to you, Nick. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was pretty quick to kind of put the Keystone issue behind behind us. Uh, Do you think that that was the appropriate uh, political reaction for him?
1: Yeah, you know, this this was this was uh, this was dead in the water as soon as we knew that as soon as Biden was going to win, that this would be on the at the top of the list. It's an easy lift for him. It's an executive order. It uh, it allows him to tick a box and send a signal to some of the more progressive parts of his. Party. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is America's energy self-sufficient now. Hmm. So it's not, you know, we don't have the same kind of heft and levers that we did 15, 20 uh, years ago. And, uh, but what, what Michael, what Ambassador Kirkin has put his finger on, which is critical, is it just takes one. One senator can hold this administration hostage mm-hmm. because of this 50-50 split. So this is a whole new dynamic compared to the past, where at least the Republicans had a little, a little bit more of a, of a working majority in the Senate. That's right.
0: Absolutely. Right, right, right off the bat, I think uh, the filibustering became an issue where where uh, Mitch McConnell wasn't willing to let that go at, at the start. So they were really off to a rocky start. Um, uh, Michael, I want to get into our, our relations with China um, now. I mean, we, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig have been in detention for uh, quite a long time now. Uh, under the previous U.S. administration, uh, the, our, our prime minister uh, asked uh, Trump to, to address the issue with China, and we didn't see any change in their in their situation. So, what what was the lesson from there? And do you think the Biden administration will be able to help?
2: This is a difficult file, Michael, uh, and it's a subterranean file because we don't really know below the surface what is exactly happening. Remember that the extradition against Madame Meng was brought by the Department of Justice. It's Mm -hmm. seen as a legal issue from the American perspective. You can agree or not agree with the sanctions and all the rest of it, but from their perspective, it's a legal issue. What made it a bit political was at one point, uh, Donald Trump said, well, maybe, or implied in our trading relationship with China, maybe I can uh, do something, which was from a perspective of of the law was a uh, anomaly with respect to how you deal with extradition issues. Now, uh, Biden has made it very clear that the Department of Justice is absolutely independent of the political arena. He's got <clears throat> Merrick Garland as his uh, attorney general, and mm-hmm. he's made that a very... So my sense of it is, oh. is that Biden will be very respectful of the legal aspects of this. The legal aspects are that the ext- extradition treaty is still, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, call on Hmong is still there. We have seen reports in the Wall Street Journal that they may have offered a deferred uh, prosecution agreement a dpa to mung's lawyers hmm. for the moment she has not accepted those she's probably waiting until next month where there's going to be another hearing on the whole issue whether her rights were uh, violated in the form and process of detention when she detained off the aircraft when she was uh, transiting into mexico um We don't know whether Meng will accept um, a deferred prosecution agreement. She may wait to see what happens in this next trial hearing. The, the actual uh, trial, I believe, is in April, where they then get it down to the issue of the question of whether she was actually guilty in terms of the extra of, of what the Americans are alleging. Um, so we don't know whether Hmong is going to accept a deferred prosecution agreement. Secondly, we don't know if the American offer of a def- uh, deferred pr- protect- uh, prosecution agreement is conditional on the two michaels being released we don't know that Um, Mm -hmm. it could be it might not be secondly we don't know whether if it were were linkage whether the chinese would accept that because they've been saying the two michaels are uh, subject to espionage charges Mm -hmm. and they say there's there's no linkage between those two so there's a number of, of issues here that are, um, are hurdles that have to go through. Uh, so I don't think things are going to move very quickly on this one, as far as I can tell. And I do not see uh, Biden interfering with the process politically that now is very much in, in a legal sort of mm-hmm. channel. So I think while Biden is informed about it and they talked about and their phone call uh, just recently, uh, my guess is that the, the Biden is going to kind of let this thing play out for a while. Hmm. You it's know, so this,
1: if, if we were to sum this whole thing up, it's kind of like we've got the Chinese rock in the American hard place and we're stuck in between. And yes, mm-hmm. so there's no right. easy there's no easy solution for this. But one thing that we do know, you know, Canadians aren't experts in extradition things on trade issues, on technology and all that stuff. But, you know, what we've seen through the polling is what's seeping through. Is kind of uh, uh, Canadians increasingly being hesitant about better relations with China. It's kind of like all these things are kind of adding up, where people, where it's on the radar for an average Canadian. You know, one survey that we did, actually with uh, CTV News, which just was was quite surprising for me, because Canada is a trading nation. Is when we ask Canadians whether they think that we should trade more or less or the same amount with uh, China. By a margin of more than four to one, Canadians said we should have less trade with China. And, mm. and this is at the same time where Canadians understand that China is one of the two most important and biggest markets in the world, and that maybe in 10 years could even overtake the United States in terms of size. And uh, But the complexities that uh, former Ambassador Kurganer is talking about and the difficulty in having any kind of resolution just casts a pall on on the Canada-China relationship right now, and, and I think it's it's at like loggerheads. No one knows mm. how to break the lockjam on this.
0: Uh, my, Michael, it's it's always been a tension with China between human rights and trade. I mean, it, it, in your time as ambassador, I remember uh, uh, then Prime Minister Jean Chrétien w- was leading trade missions as well, and the question always came up: it, How how reasonable is it to Canadians expect us to trade less with China? Is is, is that possible?
2: I think it is possible, Michael. Uh, It's always a tricky, tricky file, that balance between the profits you get from selling your goods abroad and respecting uh, human rights norms, which Canada uh, obviously uh, subscribes to internationally and multinationally. I mean, just look at the lav exports to Saudi Arabia Mm. and and you see that dynamic or that conflict playing Mm. out quite effectively, quite quite, uh, obviously. Um, I think uh, with China... We actually do have options with China. Uh, We are fortunate that we are part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which opens up theoretically a better trading relationship for Canada with other members of Asia, ASEAN, for example, Vietnam. And these are countries that are economically becoming more interesting markets. Their, 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 their economies are developing, they're developing a middle class. Uh, they need uh, natural resources. So, so we probably have some options diversifying our trade on one side. On the other side is that Canadians are becoming increasingly as Nick has put it so well, uh, Worried about the Chinese sort of predatory uh, mercantilist approach, and so uh, the government is starting to, to dial back a little bit on Chinese investments in sort of what we consider secure uh, secure areas of our economy. Take the north, take mining, and so forth, and so we can we can cut back on Chinese investment in uh, in Canada, which. Is, is another tool, if you might say, we have of expressing a little bit our our dis, our, our, our problems, our, our uh, condemnation of their human rights activities. And it's not getting better. I mean, they're getting tougher on the Uyghurs. They're undercutting what's happening in Hong Kong. They're starting to threaten Taiwan. And all these, those three areas are things that Canadians, I think, uh, feel concerned about. So uh, my sense of it is that we will be leaning more heavily on the human rights side. And in that respect, I think the Biden administration will be very supportive and they themselves will start to weigh in more heavily than Trump did, for example. So there is, you know, uh, misery loves company.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On that note, uh, uh, former ambassador to the US, Michael Kurgan, thank you so much for joining us.
2: My pleasure, Michael. Nice to talk to Nick as well. Thank you very much
0: uh nick so so what's your final takeaway for from all this my final
1: takeaway is you know the liberals enjoyed an advantage over the last couple of months when the house was not sitting now the house is back they are in the hot seat on vaccinations implementation jabbing canadians all the opposition parties are taking swipes I think we're going to see the margin between the Liberals and the Conservatives especially start to close. And Canadians will increasingly take a look at Aaron O'Toole hmm. as a possible alternative and the Conservatives as a government in waiting.
0: Wow. Uh, and Nick, as always, where can we find you? You can
1: find me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, nanos, or you can visit the website, www.nanos.co to get all those oodles of stats.
0: And I'm also on Twitter at Michael Siddle, and you can find more information about what we've discussed in this episode on ctvnews.ca. Thank you for listening.